Hey, Daniel. Yeah. Didn't we forget something? Yes. So we're adding this to the front. (laughs) It's good. Okay. So we are now proud members of the Voice Press Network. Ooh. So you can find us and other finely curated, independently produced podcasts at Mm -hmm. thevoicepress.com. Great stuff. Check it out. Please do. We're back. Here we are. Part two today. Part two. We've never done this before. No, two episodes, one one day. Yeah, it's amazing. But it made sense to not have like a two and a half hour thing. So like listen to one, then Mm -hmm. listen to this one. You can listen Mm -hmm. in any order. Yeah. Uh, um, This is the art of visual storytelling. Yes. And super cool panel. A lot of fun. Uh, But once again, if if you haven't listened to the other episode today, we were able to celebrate our one year anniversary. High five for yeah. This let's do doing, a second. Doing a it still echoes weird. Oh well. <laughs> doing a live. We did a live. Well, we did a panel in front of a live audience yep. and recorded that as our one year show. And it was like maybe you shouldn't risk <laughs> your one year show on a on a like I think we can do this, mm-hmm. but we're nothing if not people who are willing to push our luck on things right <laughs> so we tried it yep it worked out should have played the lottery that day. it worked super mm-hmm. well yeah the sound quality is awesome good stuff uh who do you want to say who brought our sound adam putman forge productions thank you very much adam superb yeah great customer service it was yeah. and a great setup oh and yeah super easy to work with and it, a plug and play yep. like we were just able to go mm-hmm. in press record and get it mm-hmm. it suited our needs like to the t i mean that many microphones yep. in a room <laughs> and not having feedback yep. not and, having sound control a issues, wireless mic it, mm-hmm. flawless i yep. couldn't ask for better it was amazing um Super. so i hope to continue that partnership because yes. that guy was perfect same uh but yeah so we do want to take a moment because it's been a year we have people mm-hmm. that have been supporting us yes we do want to direct you to www.patreon.com forward slash look what i did mm-hmm. um that's where you can support us with any amount, a dollar. You can choose mm-hmm. an amount that you want to, uh, and, it, and it goes up from there. And with some levels, you get a poster, you get a sticker, you get a T-shirt. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's some cool stuff that you can get. But with every single level, you get access to, to extra special audio, uh, sometimes behind-the-scenes photographs. Uh, Aaron and I are going to switch over at the end of this and record kind of like a, a year retrospective kind mm-hmm. of brief thing. But it's just a great way to help us yes. out because this is what pays the bills. Like, you know, s- some of this still comes out of pocket when we travel or whatever. Obviously, yep. a lot of it does. But yeah. this this pays our regular recurring bills. And without you guys, it would be a lot harder. Can I tell you what it does get? What? It gets this show to continue on. That's what you get. That's true. That is. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. So it... it we should thank the people that have brought yeah. us to here and are helping mm-hmm. us pave the way to the future. Yes. Where we're going, Trend. we don't need roads, <laughs> just Patreons. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That was thank dumb. you, patronages. <laughs> okay. Let's... Do I get to read them? I've never read them. Well, I guess this time, since it's a two for two episodes one day. Okay. Go for it. Can you? Uh, I don't know. I've never Go done, for it. I've never tried. He's nervous, everyone. I and am. thank you. Thank you, Cindy, Jeremy, Catherine. Thank you, Cindy, Jeremy, Kathy, Jennifer, Travis, Tyler, Lindsay, Jesse, Sean, Holly, James, Allison, Debbie, Caitlin, Megan, Dela, Dryad Gaming Co., Josh, Alan, and Chad, and Brian. Thank you. I made it. Yeah, you did You did pretty good. I'm going to edit out the part where I messed up. That's okay. Perfect. That's It's perfect. I usually always want to say Deborah instead of oh, Deborah. Yeah. It's just, you know. I, I, I'm not going to yeah. keep doing that job in no. the future. I think that no, should be a okay. job. You're very good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm not. I'm good with that. <laughs> well, one time out of 26, 27. Yeah. It was yeah. tough, though. Yeah. I felt very under the gun. A lot of pressure. Uh, so this panel, we were able to record at Death Ray Expo. Mm-hmm. We did the art of visual storytelling. We had... Uh, Mr. Cole Klosser, who's actually a professor of art or comics illustration. He says in the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but so he teaches art. Then we had Kathleen Neely, who does like print blocks, super cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mr. Brian Motes. And it, it was just a great panel, a ton oh, of yeah. fun, really interactive on that one. So check out their take on telling stories through pictures. It's it good. Was super mm-hmm. cool. Yep. So without 
further ado, enjoy. Thank you, everyone, for showing up. There's a sticker in your chair, seat, whatever you get to keep that. Take it home with you. Put it on your friend's stuff. <laughs> or your own. What's up, man? You come here often? <laughs> We're recording, right? Um, sure. <laughs> yeah. All right. It'll be fun anyway. So this is our second panel of the day. So second really panel of the day, now. and I've already talked more. Yeah. Than yeah, I did the last more. one. Yeah, thank you. I'm just going to retire. It was hard to get in. Uh, yeah. So this panel is the art of visual storytelling. Mm-hmm. So I hope you guys came with prepared notes and know what you're going to talk about. Um, one thing, just close to the mic, and uh, we try to put out a family-friendly show, whatever that means to you. If you want to <laughs> hold the mic, you can. Cole's out. Uh, yeah, you can hold the mic. That'll work, too. Yeah. Um, so what we're going to start with is just let you guys introduce yourselves, a uh, little kind of one, two-minute bio to the audience, and... I have a couple of prepared questions of varying complexity. I don't. <laughs> um, but what we'll do is we'll try to leave like 10 minutes at the end for the audience to ask some questions as well. Cool? All right, they seem ready. They seem ready for you. Thanks for people who came back. You subscribed, right? What? You were at the first show. You have to subscribe in between. There who we subscribed? Got one. We got one. Okay. Ryan did. So did Tyler. If you don't subscribe, leave your statement. Chad did not. Uh, okay. <laughs> so let's start with Mr. Brian Motes. Or I introduced you. Go ahead. Sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Hi, everybody. Uh, yeah, my head is taller than this mic. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, my name is Brian Motes, and uh, I, I live here in Arkansas, in Dardanelle, Arkansas, uh, home of the flood, recent floods, uh, for a reference point for everyone. Uh, I was not affected by it. I live outside of town, out in the country, so I was um, quite a bit. I was about 12 miles, 12 miles away from the problems. So... Uh, but yeah, no, I, I, uh, I used to live in Fayetteville here, and um, I moved here from, uh, technically from Hawaii, uh, by way of California, but um, uh, I'm, are you, would you like just, just information, art, or yeah, just a brief bio, yeah, whatever yeah. you think is germane okay. that they want to know. Okay, yeah, um, so, well, I mean, you're here because it's the Art of Visual Storytelling uh, panel, and uh, so I'll, I'll give you some relevant information to, for that. Um, I have been, I have not been telling stories through art, uh, if not, I, I should say I have not been publishing widely uh, stories uh, through my art, uh, but I have been telling stories through my art as long as I can remember, but really I think it uh, dates back to Hawaii um, when I would uh, be as aloof as humanly possible every day, <laughs> which is what you do in Hawaii. Uh, and I would, and I created a character uh, that I called Barkley, and uh, and he was much like uh, what someone you would find maybe in Hawaii, uh, just kind of an aloof, uh, happy-go-lucky, weird blue thing. I, I don't have any good. It's not even online anymore. I think that was about the only place I ever put Barkley, but um, but ever since that that uh, character moment that I, of creation, uh, I've been doing sort of the same thing for every different place I've lived, uh, including after that, it was, uh, I moved to, to Arkansas, but then quickly moved to Kentucky with my wife, uh, where she studied at uh, WKU, and created another character after I um, uh, went to, was invited, does anybody know Asthmatic Kitty, the record label? Yeah. Um, they curated a, a show in the uh, like an art show, and their theme was pretty open-ended. It has to be animal-related, and so I created this character. It was a, a man uh, named Spotted Crow, but he always had this spotted crow near him, and and um, and ever since then, I've kind of been recreating him th- uh, in different contexts. And his thing was that he's always trying to fly, and he's always trying to also combat com- combat his uh, uh, adult ADD through this through the miracle of flying and his. Uh, and so he, he kept on popping up in different uh, contexts, even outside of that show, that art show in Lexington. I don't know if I mentioned Lexington, but um, and including on like gig posters and things like that. And and uh, and then yes, and then moved back to Arkansas with my wife. And very uh, not too long after that is when I started doing basho bashes, which is kind of my real stake, you know, that I've 
put in the dirt when it comes to storytelling. Um, uh, and I don't know if those of you who have stopped by and said hi at my little mini booth out there um, have learned something about Bash or Bash, but that's kind of where I'm at right now, uh, artistically and storytelling-wise. Um, really, I've really kind of planted my feet in that um, pasture, I guess. So. And that's where I'm at right now. Good to meet you all. Thanks. You're up next. Hi, I'm Kathleen Neely. I'm from Pensacola, Florida, originally. And then um, I moved to Oklahoma when I was about 12. And I think kind of early experiences with the ocean and being in nature really helped to form um, my style now and kind of the what I'm influenced by, which is primarily nature and reading. I love to read stories. I like stories. Um, so definitely um, reading science fiction and fantasy mostly um, influenced me as a kid, influences me now. Um, reading is probably my favorite thing to do aside from making art. Um, what else? Uh, I studied printmaking in college. Um, I was kind of wanting to be more on the illustration path, but the school I was at didn't offer illustration as like a concentration that you could do. So I kind of fell into printmaking and I'm really glad that I did because that is the medium that I definitely really find the most joy in and the most, um, uh, it's hard to explain. I feel like I can't uh, translate what I want in any other kind of medium. It's got to be lino cuts or wood cuts or maybe pen and ink, but um, yeah, I think probably fiction and nature are what shape my art the most. Um, I don't really, don't really have anything else to add to that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> but yeah, um, that's it. That's all I got. Cool. Thanks. Last and not least. <laughs> Uh, we'll I'm, find out. I'm Cole Klosser. <laughs> uh, I'm from the Ozarks. I make comic books, and smart people call them graphic novels, and I think it's pretentious because they're comic books. Um, if it's a novel and it's in comic book form, you can call it a graphic novel, but if it's a series of short stories, it's not a novel. Um, and I've done a series of short stories and then a little collection uh, kind of aping um, old 1930s serials. My first book, Little Tommy Lost, was published, I think, in 2011 by Koyama Press, nominated for an Eisner Award and featured in Best American Comics. My second book, Black Rat, um, confused everyone, but got me an interview with The New Yorker and got some nice press and made me zero monies. Um, I'm a college professor at Missouri State University. I teach illustration, and I also teach comics because I'm forcing comics classes into the curriculum. Uh, it's my, thank you. It's my goal to infect all of the youth with the lowbrow nature of comic books. You're like when Stephen King started teaching literature at that one university, Maybe. right? My parents. Like I would both, show up for that class. My parents were literature professors, and so like when I was 10, I had to do a book report, a 10-page book report on the autobiography of Frederick Douglass. And then I had to read Of Mice and Men the same year, so I learned that everything is awful in the world. <laughs> and my direct response was to read as many comics as I possibly could. And these days, uh, my latest big project I did was a serial, a Daily Reasons to Stay Alive, that I was aiming specifically at young artists suffering from depression and suicidal ideation where Every day I gave them uh, some small reason to consider, and then it corresponded with a story about this little group of children that are on this like kind of fantastic adventure. And these days, I'm playing with that Patreon thing, yeah. which is really a hassle, but I'm doing like <laughs> three zines or mini comics a month, and, um, and just kind of like exploring uh, poetry or prose or comics or collage. Uh, I read all the time, too. That's my favorite thing to do besides drinking and crying. Um, but while I do read uh, fantasy and science fiction, also uh, I read poetry every day. Poetry is my bread and butter. 
Yeah, Patreon is the only thing keeping us alive. Uh, also, you're really messing with my perception of what a professor is supposed to look like. So I'm going to buy you a tweed jacket. I, I'm going to get the elbow patches. <laughs> Just do like, yeah. Um, so when I was thinking about this panel and trying to come up with something that seemed worth talking about, I think actually the point where I would start at is like how I think to tell a story through images, you have to have a story to tell first. And so I just kind of wanted to see where you guys, we touched on it, I think, a little bit in the introductions, but um, you guys are telling different stories all the time, right? So what does that story generation process look like for you? Um, we can start with Miss Kathleen. I usually start with like a kind of a static image in my head, and then kind of the story will sort of bloom out of that in a way. Oh, okay. And, um, and sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes I just want to make this this piece because formally it's interesting to me, but there isn't a story. Usually that's not the case now, but it seemed like more when I was kind of figuring out what I wanted to do with printmaking, it's, I was just kind of experimenting with mark making and not really thinking about what it was about. But yeah, now, now I think it's... Um, it's most it's most likely uh, or most or usually I'm I kind of will have an idea of maybe a figure or a mask or a costume or an animal and um, and it will either already in my mind be connected to uh, an idea or another um, like a series of prints or a, a series of ideas that I've had um, and then everything else kind of comes out comes out of that, I guess, just sort of the one object or figure. Cool. That actually, Quentin Tarantino, I think, Django Unchained, he, same, like, that opening sequence of the movie, he's like, I just saw that, and then I had to tell the story that goes with that <laughs> sequence, right? Like, I mean, it's the same thing, yeah. I think, like, Well, like, a, David Lynch, um, I think he made Lost Highway because the phrase Lost Highway just got, like, stuck in his brain, yeah. and he's like, I have to do this now, and yeah. he did it, and it's... Terrifying. But, but I think even like when you look at that, then you still have to generate that story a little bit, right? Oh, so yeah, like, yeah. Like you have that image, but then you have to start constructing a story, like how we got to that image, I guess. Right, right. right. Like, and it, it's all, I think it's harder when you start with a story and you don't know what it looks like yet. Like you maybe just have like a you sentence. You haven't seen me draw. Or... It's better without <laughs> what it looks like. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. What about you, Mr. Cole? Uh, yeah, I, I think it's different for everybody, and then uh, I think it's different for each person for every project. It is for me, and I don't think you, I think you said something like you need a story to tell a story. You said something well, just that, like, that there was a story in the image, right? Yeah, well, I mean, you, and then you can be correct, saying, and I'll be wrong for this whole panel. <laughs> that will have, that's yes. always this me. I insist. But I do think that, like, it depends on the story you're telling, and sometimes it just comes from an image or a phrase. Um, one of my favorite stories that I've written was one I did in the book Black Rat, and I just had this image of these two little kids and this big uh, injured monster that they were taking care of, and I didn't know what it was, but then like uh, after, you know, a day of drinking uh, chocolate milk, I, <laughs> I kind of came up with, with something for it. Whereas other times there'll be a story in my mind and I'll get to work. I sometimes start just by drawing and figuring out images and then I kind of put things together. Or my favorite thing to do is to just sit down in front of the keyboard and type. And I have an old IBM Model M keyboard on my computer, so it sounds like baka, 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 and type. And for me, that's really satisfying to have that horrifying feedback. My girlfriend doesn't like it, and my neighbors probably don't, but it works for me. Cool. Did you hear the question, Brian? I did hear the question, yes. Excellent. I did. I did. And you had plenty of time to think about it now, too. Well, actually, <laughs> just to be sure, remind me of the question. Just to, is yeah, I forgot what the question sure was. That's why I was asking you. Daniel like, remembers, yeah. hopefully. Yeah. Uh, you what you how, how you come up with the story that you're trying to tell visually, right? Right, gotcha. Um, I'm going to say 90% uh, of the time for myself, it, it, uh, it comes from real life stuff uh, for me. Uh, the majority of the time, uh, I I like to uh, just pull from from what I what my life is like. Because, like for example, like I mentioned, that character that I first pulled from many years ago uh, or, or created Barkley was a, just a kind of a conjuration of something, uh, a conjuring of, of the the people I was seeing a lot around me at, in Hawaii. But right now, like with 
but it's a, a better example I think would be with, with Bash or Bash would be the um, rural atmosphere that my kids are growing up in because Bash or Bash is primarily a kids picture book sort of situation um, right now while we're still working on our first our publication it's uh, taking form in, uh, taking form in other ways like with the podcast image like illustration that used, goes along with the podcast we were doing and things like that uh, and I usually write a story that would go with it but the, where we live now, my family lives, is, is in the country. We live outside of Dardanelle, uh, about 12 miles out. So it kind of feels like it's in the middle of nowhere. And that's a really interesting atmosphere, especially in the South, to bring up kids. Uh, I'm not originally from the South, but I've been in Arkansas for almost 20 years. And, and uh, so uh, I find myself wanting to see uh, a lot of things that I don't see in the South where I want my kids to be around. And so I'm starting to tell stories and formulate stories that have to do with that, with that without leaning too much or at all really on any kind of like, you know, lesson learning situations. Not like, you know, the moral of the story kind of storytelling, but more like, here's characters I wish I'd like to see in the atmosphere of the country, you know, this countryside, like, you know, in storytelling ways, yeah, basically making picture, making books that and stories that reflect a um, your ideal positivity, yeah. and, and also just a, a adventuresome the spirit that that I wish uh, that I don't see yet. Basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys can like celebrity well, deathmatch. What do you feel is not in the South that you would like to see in the South? Oh, oh, all kinds of things. Um, now shake hands and, where and are bow. You from? <laughs> And where are you from? Oh, okay, so um, well, I'm originally from California. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> uh oh, uh oh, uh oh. The professor jacket just came off. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no. My so my son. I have two twin. I have two twin boys, and they're nine, almost ten. And I have a little girl who's five. Uh, and both of my sons are are have always been uh, have questioned the boundaries of, of gender expression. Uh, not, not. Uh, I don't know what the what even wildly so is what I was about to say, but, but like just you know they just always testing the borders, and, and which is wonderful and, and fine to me and my wife, but but uh, you know it's, of course you know as you can imagine being in Arkansas, but plus you know the rural ruralist of Arkansas can be a, a testing place for a kid to be doing that. So um, and. Naturally, so my wife and I have looked for stories and, and examples of a kids lit, you know, that, that is, uh, portrays that in a, in a neat light, you know, in a neat way. And, and, it's, and you can find it, it's definitely there, but it's almost always, you know, at least, you know, like I said, the moral of the story kind of storytelling. Or, you know, like, let's all be super tolerant, and that's the entire story, which is totally cool. But it's not, it's not a really very nuanced story. As, as, like, as much as I'd like to see, at least. There's nothing wrong with it, of course, but I, I don't want to shame really straightforward tolerance stories. But, um, but I do want to see you know, stories that are, are, have, have some depth in, a different, in different perspectives. A more colorful cast so, telling the stories you've heard yeah. before, maybe. Yeah. Right? Like, Exactly. Like seeing my son reflected on the page. Because mm -hmm. sometimes he wants to wear a dress to Walmart, and I'm like, I don't know. Like, right, right, exactly. <laughs> and, and, it's even, and it goes, and, and to answer your question more, even with a little bit more breadth, uh, there's, there's more than just like, you know, gender fluidity or, or, and stuff like that, but it's, you know, even just like love of place and heritage and not being so afraid of being a, a I, don't want, I don't want my kids to grow up with this legacy of, being ashamed of being a kid from the country, you know? That's, my wife grew up in Arkansas, I didn't, but she did, and she definitely went through that long phase in her life where she uh, was embarrassed, and she dropped the accent, you know, very intentionally. Uh, so even now, like, she doesn't have an accent. My, my family wouldn't even know she's from Arkansas if she didn't tell them, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but and then, of course, when she's with her family, she re she adopts it back. She brings the accent back, and so, uh, and she's and she doesn't like that part of herself. I mean, she's come to terms with it, but she doesn't. She wishes that it, there was an, uh, a point in her childhood where she was able to have said, "It's totally cool that I'm from the country in Arkansas. It's totally cool that I didn't have like this city education. It's totally fine." 
But I'm also, so I'm proud of my heritage and I'm proud of my place, but I'm also totally uh, open to the world around us. And I want to embrace that and learn from it and, and be um, educated by it. And I want, that's kind of where my storytelling uh, motivations come from. I think is a, a way to really round all that up. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think like from a mechanical standpoint, how, like, do you guys, because when I watch artists work, right, it seems like you're not going to draw the full picture if you're doing a multi-panel thing necessarily, I would assume, because that's a lot of work. So do you guys storyboard, like, multi-panel things before you really kind of, like, fully invest in it? Because this leads to another question of, like, how you guys start determining, like, you're kind of filming, like, a hundred frame movie or something, right? Like, and so everything has, like, an angle... Once again, I don't know anything, Cole. I'm so grumpy. <laughs> I'm going to take Cole's class before the next panel. But no, like, I just feel like, like when I'm reading like, a, a, a comic book or something like that, those, somebody made a decision to shoot it or draw it from this angle, right? I'm using terrible language, I guess. Sorry. I'm so sorry. No, yeah, go, you say, you say, you say. I take you talk. I take offense to everything all the time. Yeah, I, I I'm Canadian, <laughs> so I'm going to apologize all the time. I'm <laughs> sorry. so sorry. I'm so sorry. Sorry, yeah, it's okay. I'm so sorry. Um, no, I take offense to using film language with comics. Comics predates film, and the earliest like, <laughs> and the earliest films were referencing comics and straight up imitating comics or using comics properties. Uh, the original animators were cartoonists uh, like Winsor McKay, uh, and so to me, when people talk about setting up the shot or the angle. I just get, I get, <laughs> I get testy. <laughs> I'm like, maybe we've been around. The filmmakers longer. learned it from you. We've made stronger work, <laughs> and yet we here in America are reviled because of the degenerate Dr. Frederick Wortham, who I'm supposed to spit on the floor every time I say his name. But I don't <laughs> get rid of you guys. Who, who said that <laughs> comics were were bad for children and caused uh, literacy problems and caused children to like torture animals and stuff and caused the Comics Code Authority and ruined our entire world of comics. Everywhere else in the world, people can read comics and they don't get attacked and nobody's like, has a problem with it. But here, you can love film even though Twilight exists. <laughs> right. And you can love literature even though Twilight exists. <laughs> but you like, but we have to like question comics and their validity, and we have to find terms from other things. But that is so off topic, and I'm so sorry. No, no, no. I think, but I think you bring it's up a good, good point, because, like, you know, my reference into it, because I'm not an artist, trust me, is, is more from, like, the visual medium I know is film, right? And so that's my, like, Rosetta Stone into it. It's like, well, I can translate this terminology yes. into that terminology, and we can, I'll buy you a drink later. We'll still be friends. Oh, okay. And so, <laughs> like, but, um, like, how would you phrase that then so when I'm speaking to Brian later I can say it correctly like because it would be framing right yeah, still or yeah, no you or framing I mean talking about the panels you could talk about viewing angle you could talk about uh, where the eye is just don't say is. movie in the same sentence yeah, just don't, okay just so don't. when I'm on my etch-a-sketch and I am storyboarding my thing it's not even uh, that good <laughs> I would it's recommend not. storyboarding on etch-a-sketch it's really tedious Maybe that's been my speed bump. That's I the like you. I'm. I'm gonna have to leave. I'm gonna uh, get you a pencil. You may have unlocked my yeah. a, a pencil. All right. Yes, I'm gonna amazing. show you something at the end of this, and you'll take that pencil away. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. So, but back to that question of like framing, right? The panel. Um, I'm gonna speak very slowly now, You're and just beautiful. wait for your facial responses, <laughs> and then we'll play poker later too. Uh, so, <laughs> so when. So, yeah, back to the storyboarding question. Like, do you guys do, very, or would you call it, like... No, I would use storyboarding when referring to animation. Or, okay, so sketching. <laughs> right. Do you yeah. kind of sketch the story first? Sketch, yeah. You can thumbnail. I found a word. Thumbnail. Sketch. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so do you guys, like, how much do you sketch before you kind of, like, dive into producing That's the final... Sure, yeah. Uh, Miss Kathleen. Um... Okay, so I sometimes it'll just be like one sketch, and I'm like, I'm so pumped, I gotta put this on a block and just start it now. And then sometimes I'll spend months drawing the same thumbnail over and over and over and over, just slightly different each time, maybe, sometimes not, right. sometimes it's the same. Um, what are know, you editing in that process, though, right? Like, that's a single image, so you're kind um, of trying to refine well, something. I, I, since I don't do comics, I'm, I, it's usually just either one image or, you know, a few to kind of convey an entire story. Um, 
So what I'm doing then is finding compositional kind of elements that they have to work visually and it has to tell what I want it to say. Right. So I guess that's what I'm changing every time. It's like, well, that looks weird or that isn't communicating anything close to what I want or maybe this is just needs to be tweaked a little bit and then it'll be more like, I don't know. I can't, this isn't translating to your podcast. This no, it, well, it's not, it's not about that though. <laughs> I, I think it's like say, yeah. the whole thing is about telling the story through an image, right? Yeah, and yeah. So you are... In conversations Aaron and I've had with other people, like somebody made this statement. I'm going to ask Cole this question real quick, and then I'll t- no. no. <laughs> but somebody made the statement that like art or design is kind of in a lot of ways just deleting down to the least amount. Like to to, to I said something right again. I'm getting so much gooder at this. Um, <laughs> so so, uh, but like deleting back, right? Is that a lot of what you're doing in that panel? Is kind of like yeah succinctly telling the story yeah sometimes sometimes i it just really depends though from it changes from piece to piece because sometimes like i said like i'll just sketch it once maybe and it's just i feel like okay i'm too excited about this to keep sketching it or even if i should you know but um but then yeah with other pieces it's painstaking and arduous and i can't figure out what i want it to look like and say and how to make those agree in a way that's like pleasing so it just depends. Do you, go, do you have anything that you want to uh, uh, so add? So I, for about eight years, was the, was the art director of, of the Arkansas Times Alternative News Weekly Pub in, in Little Rock. And I got so ingrained in that laying out of, uh, we call it a dummy. Uh, and I think for years it's called a dummy. I think it's called flat plan or something now. A lot of news publications call them something else now. But anyway, it used to be a dummy. And so basically it was just not, you know, on one or two pages, depending on how long the issue was, you'd have like thumbnails, just like we've been talking about kind of thumbnails, and it'd just be either on paper, I mean, on either you draw it by hand or put it, do it in InDesign or Illustrator or whatever your app it was you'd be using. You just lay out, you know, like you know, an image here, some text here, an image here, and the text here, lots and lots of images, text and text. And then, uh, so from years and years of doing that, that's how I've been working since when it comes to just kind of planning out a sequence of pages, uh, specifically with the book we're planning for, for Bash or Bash, um, tentatively called The Bulb. Um, I, I just went straight to that method of, of planning it out. Mostly because, I mean, it's, it's, picture books are still traditionally different from comic books, typically, in that you know, the text is removed more or less from the images. Uh, and I mean, there there's lots of exceptions, plenty of exceptions, of course. But you know, generally, it's still paragraphs away from pictures, or paragraphs on tops of pictures, stuff like that. So I still kind of play in that way, just with it on um, InDesign. I'll, I'll just grab that and I'll put out 32 pages and you know start putting blocks, gray Sorry. blocks for a picture and you know whatever blocks for for text and stuff like that. So it's. Pretty your history's informed your present yeah, working yeah, process. Exactly. That's cool. Um, is, th- is there a story that you haven't been able to tell the right way yet? That you've just, like, it's had to sit because it's, something's not there? Okay, that was a bad question because there was no <laughs> conversation. Of the, um, yes. <laughs> but fortunately, that wasn't on my list. It just made me think of it. Like, uh, what's, like, what tends to be the roadblock to getting that story out to the world, like what's the thing that's stopping you right now? You, You're up. You go ahead. I'm doing it. No, I'm doing He tells all his stories first go. It helps to drink. Right. If I, yeah, I do have them that I don't know how to like get out and it's because I haven't figured out. It's usually because I haven't figured out a visual composition that I feel like explains what I want to explain because I don't want to talk about it. I just want you to look at it and then you can form your own interpretation. But it's like I also want to guide that interpretation. Mm-hmm. And if I don't feel like I can do that effectively yet, then I'm just, I won't do it. Or I'll just keep sketching or and not. This, and this is something that can really like cripple um, really talented people who have a lot to say too. It's like, worrying too much over a story instead of just doing it. Cause, yes. Um, you know, there's an old adage of write inebri- inebriated edits over, right? And so like, yeah. 
if you can just like sit down and write a little bit every day or a little bit every night or draw a little bit every day, a little bit every night, then at some point you end up with a body of work that you can work with. And if you just keep trying to tell that story sometimes or trying to draw that picture sometimes, eventually you can hit on it. There's also this old idea of, and on the subject of thumbnailing, et cetera, to blurt is to be. Um, and you were talking about like having to rework something over and over again or finding something that you love on the first shot. So many people feel so lucky when they make a thing that they like. You know, they write something and it sounds good on the first go, or they draw something and it looks good on the first go, um, that they don't give themselves a chance to rework it. And so it's like, it's such this delicate balance of like knowing when to edit and knowing when to just like be free. But if you don't just put it down, if you don't just start trying, then you won't ever do it. And I know so many poets and so many writers and so many art artists that aren't because they're not doing it, right? Because they're like agonizing over telling the story. If you have that roadblock, stop it, right? <laughs> how, like, how do you know when to let it go though? Like I, we run into that conversation you know all right the time. Now, you know all the time to let it go. Whatever is stopping you and inhibiting you from telling the story you need to tell, unless the story you're gonna tell is you're worried because it's going to hurt a lot of people. Don't tell that. <laughs> <laughs> like, I wish more people would worry about that, actually. Yeah, yeah. Please worry. AKA please internet. Stop. Yes, internet. <laughs> but if you're just worried because you're worried that people aren't going to like it, or you're worried that it's, it's, the story is so precious to you and you can't do it justice, or the picture is so precious that you can't do it justice, like, stop it, you know, and just make the thing. And if it's no good... Uh, you still made it and it exists and then later you can revisit it and somebody else might love it. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to find that balance between editing and spontaneity. Like you, yeah. you want it to be perfect but it's never going to be and yeah. perfect is the enemy of good so Absolutely. just try to be good I guess. And the more qualified you are and the better you are at your craft the more you criticize it and the more you worry as you go, right? Yeah. And so like if you're making a thing and you're looking at it and going this is awful. Like, no, you're wrong. <laughs> you're doing good. If you look at it and you go, I'm a badass, then <laughs> be careful. Take a step back. I think so when you're when like when you're doing a self-publishing or like producing work that's not for hire, right? Um, I think you when when we look at the book world, you have editors that you kind of run that product through. What do you do you guys have like people you would almost kind of consider like your personal editors when you're doing personal work that you filter product through? And who, how do you determine who, I refer to as my personal board of directors, right? Like for when I'm making really complex decisions, I'll run it through, my wife's on that, Aaron's on that if it's the podcast. Um, there's a guy in the room right now who I run business stuff through. Um, but who, who do you pick to be on kind of like your visual editing team if you have that I asked a good question you're on my podcast <laughs> right now you'll be on that board <laughs> you me? Uh, for me uh, I am I'm pretty disconnected from people at this time because I'm it's self-inflicted in many ways uh, just because I tend to be that way but also just because I'm way far away from a lot of people and the people who are physically closest to me, besides other than my family, are, are I wouldn't trust their hard opinion <laughs> necessarily. To, just to be not too fine about it, but um, so I don't. At this time, honestly, I'll just totally honestly, I don't really have uh, someone I run pe things through. My wife is the big exception. I, I show her everything, everything as much as I can, because she has this ability to kind of. She's she's the most. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I can't. I've lost it. But she she has informed Bash O Bash and and the uh, multiple levels of it that we're trying to do without getting overcomplicated. Uh, she's really been the engine behind that, and and that doesn't stop when it comes to the artwork itself. So um, anything you see out there that I've been showing people, or you see online or whatever that, that I put out there, um, really comes from her input as a um, as a partner in the whole project itself but also just as a, a mind that really is able to um, so, well actually I'm backing up she really being from the south herself is she's in being that we're trying to tell stories of um, in an abnormal way of 
characters that are living in the rural South, she actually is really able to really help me uh, zero in on things I had would have never thought of. Um, and so, so that she's been my key. Um, even though she doesn't have it, she she would tell her she would say this herself. She's not artistic in any way, but she definitely is able to key into things really quickly that would that would never register, uh, or would be like even off-putting. I don't have a good example about what would be off-putting, but it would just really turn off someone, or, uh, someone we'd want to reach. You know, uh, do you use your you write these stories in part because of your kids, right? So yes. they kind of function as like a little bit of a focus group for you. A little bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because they, well, they and they started the whole thing with us. Really, I don't know if I mentioned that or, or anything, but it's really, and I've been telling everyone out there, it's really a family project because right. intentionally has been a very, very much a family project. I mean, they came up with the names of characters and the and the way they look. I mean, they even dressed up at them as, as Halloween, and, and so really, it's been a, a in its heart a family project. I end up being the person who sits in front of tells people about it sometimes, but uh, really, through and through, it's been 100% a family project um, when it comes down to it. So yeah, so everything kind of cycles through the whole engine of the family opinion and stuff like that, and, and then eventually it ends up on paper. Very cool. Editors? Um, I, I'll show things to friends sometimes. Um, Family sometimes I feel like they they're <laughs> nice really dangerous they're nice about yeah. it but like I don't your mom loves everything <sighs> she well she has to say that <laughs> right. so yeah, yeah I think she likes some things more than others maybe some things less but that's with my siblings yeah I'm less, <laughs> <You're> less. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't know just I, I don't I don't always show everything to people before I like commit to a block um, but. Sometimes if I'm, a, if I'm not 100% secure about an idea or a composition, I'll ask some of my um, art friends for advice, and they always give great advice. I mean, you can find uh, colleagues everywhere. If you go to college with anybody, I went to grad school with this dude right here for one year, and then he ripped off the grad school. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but like... You have these contacts forever. Uh, once you once you enter into any kind of educational relationship with people, but also I think it's most important. Like when you're talking about talking to your families, your wife's super critical. Uh, your mom's too nice. Like you, you can't find people who will blow smoke. Oh, you said keep it up your rear end. Yes, up I did your that for posterior. You. Thank you. Yeah. Ooh, nice um, word. You can't you can't rely on those people. And so like, <laughs> I tried to teach myself to sing when I was a kid. Oh yeah. And like I was playing the piano and trying to like find the notes. And my dad came downstairs and said, "Son, you have so many other talents. <laughs> <laughs> Would you please pursue one of them?" <laughs> and then my mom told me something similar lately. Um, but like. I go to my brother a lot uh, because he's one of the most critical <laughs> dudes that I know, and he knows more so critical than you. Yeah, because that's a lot. He <laughs> he's a misanthrope, but he loves comics so much, and he loves literature, and he is a published poet, and he is a librarian, and he's and so like go to people who know the things that you're making, yeah. and who aren't afraid to tell you the truth. If if the people that you're going to are just saying, "Great job, I love it, it looks so good," right. <laughs> You're going to end up with a bunch of horrifying... Was that your singing voice? <laughs> That's oh. a singing voice. Because your dad wasn't wrong. No. I like it. It's not so good. Um, but you end up... I can do Tom I want Waits that record too. so bad. But you'll end up with people... You'll end up with people like encouraging the worst stuff. And I get so many students who come in and all they do is fan art on Tumblr of like their favorite anime. And there will be all of these people with fox ears and elf ears who are like their bodies are broken in I've terms of anatomy stuff. Um, and they're all like <laughs> I don't know doing gross stuff with each other but like <laughs> their friends on the internet have said that is so good that's so beautiful will you draw my OC right which means original character if you're not one of these people and like and that's hurtful that's harmful so be careful choose Choose your jury. You know, <laughs> make sure that they're either impartial um, and educated, or that they have your absolute best interest in mind and aren't afraid to tell you that you did a bad job. Uh, 
Okay, so we probably. Really Sorry, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. I'm going to write that down that choose your jury. Yeah. That's like the one thing you can do in life when you're, I mean, if you put enough effort into it, like if you're an artist or a writer or, or aspiring any one of in, in between, is you actually, we are pretty lucky. We could, we can, if we try hard enough, choose our jury. Like, like, you know, my, I'm really happy with my family being my jury because actually, like, like I said, my, my wife is super critical, but she's really, really nuanced. So I really, I, I stick with that because she knows things that I don't even know, especially because of her, her uh, upbringing. You know, it's really, it's key. She's totally keyed into what I, what we're, the audience we're trying to get to. So I'm able to really, uh, I, I know the value of that, even though it's led to some, Wicked fights, but you know, it's also it's been a thousand times more positive than it's ever been negative. You know. And what you say about nuance, and in terms of finding someone to help you and look at your work, if you're writing stories, especially, and if you're dealing with things like gender, gender fluidity, these things, this is going to be touchy, and it's so easy to make something that's either offensive because it's woefully ignorant or it's offensive because it's trying to oversimplify, like you were saying. Right. And you need nuance when you're dealing with race, when you're dealing with gender, with your, when you're dealing with any kind of socio-political political situation. And in those situations, you have to find readers, um, even people that you don't know personally, to read it. You can't be like, well, my one friend who belongs to that group said it was cool. <laughs> it's like, well, that one friend might be a moron, right? So, <laughs> you, have to, like, you have to be so careful and find people who understand nuance. I think, I think having, sorry, I'll, I'll get to you, Aaron. I, but I, I, I would say finding somebody that's oh, on, your, on your, on your uh, jury or board of directors, like somebody that you're comfortable disagreeing with, right? Like you need that person that's pushing against you occasionally because out of that comes sometimes some of your best work. Yes, sir. I forgot. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, I, I'd say that the one thing that maybe a lot of people should have in common that I would hope so anyway is motivation. You know, if it's, where do you find the time? Do you force yourself into it like an eight to five, nine to five, whatever? You know, or is it the drinking of chocolate milk? You know, what do you do to push yourself to get motivated to do these things? Because I think that everyone here with any sort of creative bone in their body, or even not, if it's just to get up to go to work, you know, will have to find some sort of thing to get them pushed in so they will do it. You know, what are some of the things that you guys do that maybe would help us people? I hate just keeping on talking. There's this, uh, but I love it because I love the sound of my voice. Especially this Yeah, one. yeah, no, that's my favorite. Uh, the, uh, just sing your answer. There's this, and I, I, I this, the, the reviled poet, Charles Bukowski, poet in quotation marks, um, who wrote a lot of terrible poems, wrote a great one uh, up called Air and Light and Time and Space, which is about how he's got this friend who's going to be a poet now that he's retiring, and he's finally got the air, and you should see the space in my studio and the light. I've got the time, and I'll finally write stuff. And he says, baby, if you were going to write, you would have done it already. <laughs> like, if you are not compelled to create stuff, you're not going to create mm -hmm. stuff. Like... Every time anyone asks me, like, how do I become a cartoonist? How do I become an illustrator? How do I become a writer? There's one answer, and it's to do it, right? It's to get out there and start doing it. Like, mm -hmm. in terms of finding what motivates you, if the art itself doesn't motivate you, if it's not burning in your gut with this disgusting need to get out, right? Then, you know, maybe make it a hobby. It's okay. Um, but definitely don't turn to drinking to make yourself too sick. Right. No amount of chocolate milk will make you make right. good work. It will just make you throw up a lot, ruin all of your relationships, and kill your insides. Noted. I, I think I agree. Like, if you don't have that impulse in you already, then I don't, I don't know. I don't feel like I need to be motivated. It, well, okay. If it's a... If it's a job that I'm maybe stuck on, then yeah, I do need to motivate myself. And usually that is just by like sketching or um, sometimes I do gouache paintings just when I don't want to be like confined to lines. <laughs> but um, yeah, maybe switching up your medium. I don't know. Um, that, that works for me sometimes. But Yeah, like, just kind of step out and but try yeah, something. Like, like you said, I feel like there, there really isn't... I, 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 
I don't need to motivate myself really to to create and yeah I feel like I'm fighting that most of the time like when I can't draw it's like I would like to be yeah doing that <laughs> yeah. Um, I sort of I, I agree with everything that's been said 100% I actually have sort of a uh, flip side viewpoint um, coming from uh, so it just based on experience not really based on opinion formed out of anywhere else but so it, sometimes it's really really hard to draw no matter how much you want to uh, or, or create or just write your stories or you know whatever whatever your passion is you're working on is because you know the, the, the rest of the life you've chosen for yourself or Unfortunately, in many cases, it's been forced on you economically, or maybe you've got poverty or, or issues or, or you know, uh, mental illness issues or whatever that, that really keep you from being able to create at the pace you want to or as much as you, or, or the, the, the um, uh, quantity you want to, uh, or even the quality you want to. And, I, and especially in the, parent, in the, say, in the uh, situation of parents, a lot of parents, find themselves in situations where they've got a lot of drive, but like almost no time. So I, like, I think it's funny because poetry keeps on coming back up and it's kind of neat because all three of us have, appear to have some sort of a poetry interest. That's the only reason I'm in Arkansas because I moved here to go to school and study poetry. Um, back when U of A apparently had a better than they do now have a poetry department. I don't know what it is now. I heard it's, I heard it's gone downhill, I don't know, but that's aside from the point. But uh, I, the, um, you know, I was, I, if I were to map my creative output, it's actually kind of steadily gone downhill um, since, I, <laughs> since I met my wife and I had kids and uh, um, or actually I went to school and, stuff and all that kind of stuff. And uh, but my passion or my, my quality has gone up and up and up, I say. So it's, um, I don't want, I, I caution the idea of, people against the idea of, um, what's the, uh, there was a web makers conference in Little Rock, they used, uh, they used to say a lot, I think they kind of ditched a little bit, and, but I liked it, but I also cautioned toward the whole idea of, um, what was the phrase they used? Um, sleep while, no, uh, work while there's a resting. That, like there's that there was the whole mentality amongst makers and creative people for a long time, and there still is, and there's value to it, but also there's a lot of, to be cautious about. It's like it, this whole like um, get a you know keep keep working while the people are on their laurels, right? You know, they're just like resting and something like that, and, and you just keep on going, keep on going, keep on going, but there's so much burnout of it, you know, that, that can be achieved there, and so I think there's there's that whole idea, like. Um, that if, if you want it bad enough, you'll fight hard enough for it, which is totally true. But also at the same time, there's, always, there's, the, there's the value in saying, you know, just take that time to be with your family, even if you'd rather be drawing, sometimes. But family well, times where the story comes from, right? <laughs> for, that? The family times where the story comes from, yeah, right? Yeah, it's those other, so. I think when I, you step back yeah. and like, let your mind connect pieces. That's where that story starts to develop. I'm putting some things together. You, you're married. Yes. For how many years? For 15 years. Oh. You have two children. Three children. Oh. <laughs> I've been married a few times. <laughs> but for me, it's the opposite of that. It's no matter what. You get the thing done. So right, I think right. I figured it out. Thanks well, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's why he's been married for 15 years. <laughs> no, I mean... that. Not to say that it hasn't been really, really hard. I think you probably experienced some of that. Is that uh, even though jokingly you're saying it jokingly, but I think you, you know there's definitely that experience where uh, there's this idea that you have to sacrifice something to be the creative at the level you want to be, and that's true because we're talking about really complex things about being creative. Being creative is really hard if you really want to do it, and it's really and if you want to make a living out of it, it's extremely hard. Especially if you haven't like gone down certain established paths. Whereas I, I mean, I went to school for I went to art center and college of design in Pasadena, uh, California, for like a semester where I really quickly learned I can't go down this road because it's a bad idea for someone like me. But I know, but I knew somehow that I'll eventually get where I want to go, wherever whatever that looked like. Um, and then I, you know, I, and 
uh, I can safely say though that, that I'm really, well, I feel like I'm probably much uh, artistically at a much better place than I would have been had I really like been like, can I say balls to the wall here? Instead sure. Balls to the wall with uh, like, even while I was married and having kids, if I had just like gung-hoed in the way Brian Motes would gung-ho through all that, I probably would have ruined the relationships and, and then, but, and, all, and probably not been in the artistic place I wanted to be. So everyone's experience is different, of course, because I don't want, I'm definitely not saying, you did it wrong and you no, screwed I up. <laughs> you shared the story. <laughs> but uh, but I, I just want to caution that the flip side of that is don't go overboard. Watch your relationships at the same time. You know? Yeah. Um, I think right now, we have time for a couple questions from the audience. Um, so, hey, this guy, he has a question. Did you subscribe yet? Subscribe. Keep walking, Aaron. No. You'll get your question when we get our subscription. Um, you can take this question uh, any way you want, but uh, what do you see as a role of, of text in comic narrative? Because you see on the one end, like William Blake, where you have like, amazing prose, but then it's text that sort of adorns that. But then you also have like comics. Then the other, other hand, you have just purely visual. So in, in your mind, what, what is the role of text in comics? What is the role of text? Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't think there are any rules for that. Um, comics is a medium. And so people sometimes make the mistake of feeling like comics is a genre, you know? And so they hear comics and they, say, they think superheroes, they think manga, they think furries. They think whatever, <laughs> whatever they think specifically. Um, but like, ugh, comics is a medium, and just like painting, uh, it can. Oh, for me, again, it's a medium that I play with. So like, I'll, I've made wordless comics. I've made uh, comics that are debatably not comics. You know, um, I. I love to write, and I love text, um, but. For me personally, the way the text and the images interact is so different from project to project uh, that it's hard to say. And I think it's just, it's so totally up to each individual creator how they do that. They're the more traditional ways of doing things. And I cannot stand mainstream uh, comics. Like when I open a mainstream comic and it's drawn, it's like, Penciled by this person, inked by this person, colored by this person, lettered by this person, written by this person, edited by this person. I'm like, you needed a team of this like a child a show movie a holes. Yeah, <laughs> you needed a whole like congress of people to make something about two people in underwear who punched each other in the face. Like that drives me nuts. And when you read those and you look at the text in there, you'll see like in an image of a person leaping with their claws out, there'll be like nine paragraphs. <laughs> I'm going to give a, a monologue, a soliloquy as I fly through the air to murder you. It's like, um, it just depends. It depends on the project. It depends on the person making it. For me, it definitely changes from piece to piece. What's unique and wonderful about comics um, is that panels can function uh, to serve as not just the order that you have to read them in, but the pacing you should read them in, the rhythm you can read them in. And just the same way that in a poem you can do line breaks. Um, <laughs> I snot out of myself because I'm thinking of Instagram poets. There you go. Um, <laughs> where they, like, they say something like, you thought you broke my heart, but when I picked up the pieces, there were even more, right? But then they like break each, <laughs> I know, it's probably a real rupee quar poem. But they like, they break the lines in these like ridiculous ways to look like poetry. But in real poetry, when you're breaking the lines for an actual reason, and when you're trying to you read William Carlos Williams and look at how he's breaking things and how he's trying to make you think, you can do that in comics. You can put one word in a panel and it stops the panel, it slows you down, and you have to look at it for a minute. You know what I mean? So it's like, everything is different, but comics is so unique in that you can use you can use the panels uh, to do so much with the text, with rhythm, with with playing, with voice. Was that a correct? Was that an answer? <laughs> Paul. Hello. Um, so, and I'm going to start this question by first sort of saying that I agree with 
a lot of what I've heard from you guys, um, but uh, there was discussion of like some of the pretension that comes with graphic novels and whatnot. Um, however, there was also sort of uh, warning against um, relying on uh, people who don't really know what they're talking about when it comes to giving you feedback on your artwork and that kind of thing. And so I wonder uh, where you guys see that line because there's also like outsider art, there's um, folk art, all of this different kind of art that doesn't necessarily um, follow established rules, I guess. And so how do you know that somebody that you're, you're getting feedback from actually is giving you good feedback versus somebody who just like is really into furries and they have all the information on that. I'm so sorry for <laughs> And so, uh, yeah, so how, how, do you, how do you know whether the feedback that you're getting is, is worthwhile, I guess? I think Kathleen should answer this one. I threw okay, you out there. That's a pretty, that's, that's tough. I mean, it really just depends on, okay, for me, like if I ask someone about a specific drawing and I want to know like, hey, do you think this works? I would, I've already gone to them because I feel like they have the expertise in something that I think will benefit the piece or like it will inform their advice. Like for instance, um, I have a friend who writes and so some, I'll ask her what she thinks of something um, because she knows how to tell stories just in a different way than I do and she might have some insight that I wouldn't have gotten from another visual artist, if that makes sense. And I, I don't think there really is a foolproof way to know if the advice you're getting is sound because that is subjective. Um, and I don't know, I, I guess it's just like a feeling. Like I feel like this is helpful, useful advice or I don't feel like it is. That's I think what it comes down to for me anyway. One more, we have time for one. We have somebody up front. This is the final question. Final countdown. Oh, you sing. <laughs> that song has been in my head for a week and a half. Yeah. Oh, really? No joke. I have a trivia game at home that plays um, it. This question is for everybody. Um, what was the first book that made you want to write? And what was the first book that made you like realize you wanted to read for the rest of your life? Can you say it again? I'm sorry. The, like, all of it? What was the book that you read? like the first book that you read that made you realize you wanted to read for the rest of your life? The Left Hand of Darkness by Ursula Le Guin, both, for both of those. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, 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 um, I wish I could say and if I sat here long enough, I could totally have good, I mean, an answer that was accurate and good. Uh, that, um, that, that would come to me, I think, that really made, that made me feel like, and I should know this because I worked, I worked at bookstores and bookstores and bookstores, so I, I really had a lot of time to, to be exposed to a lot, and, and, I paid, and, and I paid plenty of attention, and I really felt like I've been exposed to a lot of quality and, and amazing kids' books. Um, yeah, but, but there's no, there's no one. I really, I wish I could say there was one. It, actually, I take it back. And I, and I, I, <laughs> now, since there's like, put the period on that last sentence, I realize that's not true. Uh, uh, there's a, a book called So Many, So Many Days. It's a picture book. And maybe why I was hesitating because I can't remember the author suddenly. The author illustrator. It's the same person and. Um, it'll come to, as soon as I put a period on my last sentence <laughs> yeah. and tell them to start talking, it'll, I'll think of it. So go. Okay. No, I didn't work. <laughs> it's Cole's turn. Um, I, uh, I honestly can't say what the first book I read was that made me want to read forever. Uh, again, my parents were literature professors, and my dad forced me to read a lot of stuff. And so, like, some of it was wonderful. I remember specifically reading Huck Finn when I was like, nine or 10 too, and there's a scene where 
Uh, I think he and Jim are in this cave. I haven't read it since I was done. And it's raining outside. And like for a second, I was in the cave and it was raining. And I was like, oh God, that's what books do. Like, so that was a big deal. But I always wanted to keep reading just because I was curious what was in there. But the book that made me want to write uh, was definitely um, an anthology of comics called Raw that was edited by Art Spiegelman and Francoise Mouly. Um, and it blew my mind and it changed everything. My, I was in the basement. Our whole house was just bookcases and books and books and books. And in the basement were the books we were supposed to read. So my brother and I were down there looking for smut and we came across Raw. Um, and it, uh, of course, uh, Art Spiegelman is the uh, Pulitzer Prize winning author of Mouse. And Francoise Mouly is the art editor for the New Yorker for the last like so, so, so long. Um, and they chose the best, most bizarre, wonderful, scary cartoons. And I was too young to read that. And I stayed up under my covers with a flashlight reading it. And I had nightmares about some of them. And I cried during some of them. And I was so fascinated. But like, for the rest of my life, anytime that I'm like wondering what I should do, like raw influences it. Like I always think about reading that and the experience I had, the feelings I got from those stories, I wanted to give other people those feelings. Awesome. Guys, I, I thought it was Alison oh. McGee. <laughs> I, I didn't think I looked it up while you were talking. I was going to period Alison the McGee. podcast, and then you were like, no, I remember. Uh, our panel. Alison McGee, So Many Days, is a picture book that's just beautiful and superbly well-written. We want to thank you guys for coming to the panel. Thank you. Give it up for Brian, Kathleen, Cole. <laughs> this podcast comes out every other week. This episode if sound works. We'll come out uh, in a week, roughly. You'll be a part of that. Um, but feel free to download on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get podcasts. Take the sticker that was in your seat. Thank you guys so much for coming to this. Five o'clock, Create a Hero with John Lucas. Collaborative. You can try your hand at creating... Now I'm going to make it a furry in tights, but... <laughs> All right, thanks, guys. Thank you. Look What I Did is produced by Aaron Dotson and Daniel Quinn. Sound designed by Daniel Quinn. Our digital director is Heather Cullen.